HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yucking it up. Here at Heritage Radio Network, this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Um, so, we all know water is big on the national consciousness right now. We're all talking about the Flint, Michigan situation. But actually, Des Moines, the city of Des Moines in Iowa, has been dealing with their own water quality issues for low these many months. And to talk about that issue today with us is Bill Stowe, the CEO and general manager of the Des Moines Waterworks. Bill sits on the board of directors of the Association of Metropolitan Water Agencies, representing the largest drinking water utilities in North America. He is a member of the American Society of Civil Engineers and a member of the Iowa Bar Association. He frequently acts through the American Arbitration Association as an impartial arbitrator in resolving complex construction and commercial disputes involving public and private construction projects. Welcome to the program, Bill. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, I just turned the microphone on like I couldn't actually hear my headphones before. So I'm glad you're there. (laughs) Um, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, Bill, let me ask you this. How many people have you, I mean, you why aren't you on television all over the place? I mean, you should be like part of this general Maybe I'm not very photogenic, Katie. I I have a perfect face for radio. I think that's probably it. (laughs) Uh, We certainly, you know, we we do get a lot of media attention, uh, but realistically there's a lot of headwind coming into us also from sure. the forces of industrial ag. Oh, well, we're going to be talking about that bill. But um let's start by explaining to people like in case they haven't been following this story because it's really been over a year now um that I certainly have had this on my radar and I've done a couple stories with um with Tom Philpot about it. I'm sure you know him quite well. Mm-hmm. Um so the the upshot is is that Des Moines has been uh you know problem has problematic water quality and in order to sort of 
address that issue, you have resorted to the um, the expedience of uh, or the the solution of filing a lawsuit against three upriver counties of Des Moines for their water pollution. Can you um, talk to us a little bit about what your your suit addresses and what you're you're hoping for in the outcome? Sure. Let me give you a little context. Yes, please. Um, if you, if you haven't erased all of your memory banks about the Iowa caucuses uh, just a week ago in the presidential selection <laughs> process, uh, we're the capital city of Iowa. We serve about 500,000 customers here in the middle of the state. Right. Uh, most of our customers are residential, but we have a little industry, commercial businesses. Um, but we're a surface water provider, so we draw our water not from deep wells or the aquifers, a couple thousand and feet beneath the ground in groundwater, we use surface water. We draw from right. rivers, and rivers are um, largely kind of captive to land practices upstream within the watershed. And in Iowa, upstream in the watershed means overwhelmingly agricultural practices. Uh, right. We Our watersheds are about 10 thousand square miles, but uh, heavily industrial ag, 90% or so of the surface areas and some kind of uh, agricultural activity upstream from us. We have seen for the last 25 years or so uh, serious problems with nitrate concentrations. Right. Uh, nitrate, as the name implies, is a form of nitrogen. Uh, nitrogen is a fertilizer um, that's uh, very important in industrial agriculture to keep corn and soybeans in particular well fertilized, but it's also uh, a pollutant that travels easily with the water into the surface waters and hence uh, our business downstream from large agricultural row crop providers and also animal feeding operations, mm-hmm. which have nitrogen in the manure that they use um, for farm applications coming out of the livestock operations cause serious problems for us in keeping our drinking water safe for our 500,000 customers. So. Right. About a year ago, as you mentioned, uh, we went through the process of first, uh, under the Clean Water Act, the Federal Clean Water Act, warning uh, three counties upstream and their boards of supervisors who are elective positions that manage um, really kind of a stormwater utility. Our farmland has to be drained, and underneath, if you can imagine, about three or four feet underneath our beautiful, rich topsoil, there are drainage tiles. There are systems to move water away from the soil, move it laterally as opposed to letting it going down as water necessarily does. Mm-hmm. Uh, vertically, instead of gravity, it's being shot over to the side into the waters of the state, heavily polluted and a lot more water than if uh, they were not drained. We warned uh, the county supervisors and three counties upstream about a year ago that we would sue if they wouldn't come to grips with their environmental, uh, adverse environmental impacts from these drainage districts, and they basically told us to take a walk. (laughs) So we filed a suit in federal district court uh, in the Northern District of Iowa under the Clean Water Act, listed our concerns about them being point source polluters, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Yes, we will. Um, And then also uh, sued under a number of state law claims, basically saying that under the Iowa Constitution and Iowa law generally, uh, the waters of the state are a commonwealth, and they are fouling the commonwealth by dumping directly into our surface waters without any regulation. So it's been an interesting ride. We're scheduled for... um, hearing on those issues in August of this year and are going through what the lawyers talk about is uh, 
discovery or motion practice right now, a lot of exchange of information and better kind of focusing on the specific issues as we approach trial. Um, it's just an incredible story to me. Um, so uh, are you able to identify which farms or which entities are most responsible for the pollution, or is it because it goes into this sort of tile district? It's sort of not possible to really say, oh, it's the, you know, it's the Smith & Company CAFO over here that's doing it, or it's the, you know, the great big corn farm over there. Is it because those waters are aggregated that you can't actually go after the the you know, the real polluter, or is it just so widespread and generalized that you might as well sue the counties? Well, it's a little bit like um, a stormwater system in a city or a small town where the pipes uh, come off the street and drain the street. What we are doing is we're looking at the aggregation point, that is the point of discharge uh, in the drainage district and Mm -hmm. saying that's point source polluter and the people who contribute to that um, are the benefited area. So in our case, we're suing about a dozen drainage districts that are behind those drainage districts are identifiable farms, but we're suing the elective county officials that we think uh, should be overseeing those drainage districts, not just to get water off the land, which is their argument, but we think they're also responsible for the downstream impacts. And so mm-hmm. uh, it was never our approach to try and go to individual farmers and sue them. Um, the approach here really is to go after the public utility and the public office holders who we think have a responsibility that they've shrugged off here. Uh, certainly, if we're successful in our argument that those drainage districts should each be permitted and regulated, that'll have an impact on individual farmers. But our approach is to um, go for the public utilities and the publicly elected officers, mm-hmm. recognizing that behind them are obviously large egg um, providers. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think that's you definitely want to make this sort of uh, the elected official more culpable than because, I mean, the farmers would just pay a fine and keep on going, right? I mean, if it were them, would they well, have that's, to actually address Yeah, that's address our the, concern. We really are looking yeah. for long-term solutions here, right. not flash-in-the-pan things. Mm-hmm. We've seen enough flash-in-the-pan um, solutions from the USDA and from state government where a lot of billions of dollars have been poured into this state that essentially subsidizes agriculture and, in theory, they were supposed to promote uh, environmental practices, but they haven't. So we're we're tired of that approach. We want individual responsibility and accountability that's long-lasting, not just uh, throwing a bunch of public money at a problem that uh, really only makes the problem worse. That's what we've seen in our federal farm programs, in our view. Wow, that's really interesting, Bill. We're going to have to go back to that. Um, I, I noticed, I you know, I did obviously did quite a bit of homework for this interview, um, and you you were saying that the the primary problems are the nitrates that are coming down from fertilizer and manure. And I saw, I looked at the USGS, the U.S. Geological Survey website, um, which your website directs people to, and it showed the nitrate and nitrite levels um, recorded at nearly 12 or 11.9, I don't know if it's a percentage or parts per million or whatever. Uh, the parts per million, milligrams uh, per liter parts per million, abs- right. absolutely. And the lawful level is 10. That's right. So even even now in the winter, and I'm speaking to you uh, in the middle of a quasi blizzard here, even in this kind of weather where obviously no crops are out there and there's no one fertilizing or putting, hopefully, uh, manure on the soils now, we still have a 
significant problem here. Um, fortunately, we have enough denitrification that we can work with 11 and 12 even in February, but wow. it's an indication of a larger problem. When you have those kind of numbers this time of year, imagine right. what that'll look like in May and June, which is the height of our uh, growing season here, sure. where there'll be a number of concerns about uh, too much uh, fertilizer and too little crop on uptake. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I just thought that was amazing. I mean, I'm sure your numbers soar right off the chart. It must be like 15, 16, 20 parts per million when you get into that part of the of the growing season. So that's pretty scary. It, nitrates, <clears throat> you know, cause a variety of health problems. But um, I guess what I wanted to ask about that was... Um, well, never mind. I forgot what I wanted to ask. But now I want to ask you, why does it cost you so much to clean the water? I mean, you just mentioned denitrification. You know, is that, are there other things that you want to clean out as well as nitrates? Or is it that the main problem? Tell us a little Absolutely. bit more about I mean, what else is we've in there. Been, and- we've been doing this uh, cleaning water for uh, our customers since really about the Civil War, Katie. And in this <sighs> part of the world, you know, we're really uh, very comfortable with how you deal with some of the things that you think about in safe drinking water, Mm -hmm. microbiological problems, as an example, and suspended soils and all the kind of things, uh, viruses and bacteria and algae that are part of uh, cleaning surface water. Um, Taking nitrates out is a whole different process. We've had to build a side stream process, a denitrification process. We have the largest uh, denitrification process in the world. That's kind of like arguing I'm the best chain smoker at a party. Uh, Not exactly something you want to brag about, but it's still a fact. Um, We have this very expensive system that is out there. It was built 25 years ago when the problem wasn't as bad as it is now. And so we're reaching the regular uh, life cycle, the point where a 25-year-old facility is running out and we're seeing a worse problem. So We, like um, a lot of water utilities, are looking at spending a whole lot of money to upgrade it. But the basic system that we and most water utilities use in the United States is something called lime softening, and it does really well at getting things out of the water up to a point. Uh, and the point for us is nitrate concentrations. It does not deal well with that kind of issue. And to use a different analogy, um, there are things like lead that aren't dealt well with through the kind of basic process that we and other folks have. And so you have to come up with a side stream process. Because of the industrial ag pollutants in this state, this side stream process of denitrification is incredibly expensive. And you touched on it just a second ago in your questions. Um, not denitrifying, having too much nitrate concentrations in drinking water is a serious and fatal risk for infants. Yeah. Uh, and for the rest of us, there's emerging research now that talks about vulnerabilities of immune systems and nitrate uh, concerns um, for all of us. But it sure. is a huge concern for the very young, and we're, uh, um, as the capital city and kind of the regional center of medicine in this state. You know, we have a number of hospitals with neonatal units, as an example. Uh, Our inability to provide them low nitrate concentrations in water creates huge commercial issues for them where they have to have their own uh, neonatal uh, units to be able to further 
uh, clean the water that we provide them. Just huge consequences oh, yeah. from a public health standpoint and from a business standpoint. So we're very concerned at the root of this issue, no pun intended, <laughs> that industrial ag is pushing a cost of production and a public health risk to our consumers. And that's something we're no longer able to tolerate. Yes, sure. I, I totally understand. Um, just to, to kind of give a little bit of history. So would you say that this, because you're saying that your water quality, your your water cleaning system, your denitrification system came online around 25 years ago. And was that around the same time that conf, uh, concentrated area feeding operations began in the hog business? Because that seems to me around when that began to consolidate as an industry. Um, so would you say that that sort of tipped the scales or is it just the increasing amount of land that is under cultivation for corn and soy, which leads to a lot of fertilizer use? Or is it you just know, a, no, an unholy trio? A number trio? of factors that come into play, the green revolution, uh, the change in uh, – agricultural practices and industrial farming where it took more addition of nutrients, particularly nitrogen, into the soils to make the new genetically engineered uh, corn crops in particular, but also other row crops um, viable, happened, you know, in the 70s. Uh, Certainly uh, animal feeding operations have become huge business in this state. I'm talking to you from a state that has 3 million people and 21 million hogs. Yes. Uh, What do we focus on in terms of making sure every drop of sewage is treated and permitted and handled correctly, the 3 million, what do we ignore? The 21 million. That's right. Part of the problem that we have a huge water issue here, but there are improvements um, in drainage systems. There is a different ethic about the use of not only manure from animal feeding operations, but anhydrous ammonia for nitrogen sources. And, you know, realistically, um, more and more land in cultivation in a state that uh, is unrecognizable for what it looked like a hundred years ago. Obviously, this is a this is a factory farm state, yeah. and so if you go out and drive the state, um, you're going to see you know hundreds and thousands of acres and row crops where the economics now force an industrial kind of. Um, ethic that has more and more chemicals or manure being used on those soils and less rotation. This is pretty much a corn and soybean state. Uh, Forty years ago, you would see smaller grains, oats. We have a growing um, ag movement for local foods groups and for organic groups uh, and CSAs uh, that are, are beginning to turn that around in areas around the metropolitan areas like the one I'm talking to you about, but the state is largely still in our watersheds, 10,000 square miles of uh, plowed and uh, CAFO'd soils. And that's certainly uh, created a problem for us in the last 40 years or so. I'm going to cry, man. That is like just the saddest story I've ever heard. I mean, really, Iowa just is heartbreaking. I should tell you, Bill, that um, I was in Iowa not too long ago. I think it was over the summer. Um, I was there for some conference or other, which I can't remember. But I was absolutely overwhelmed by the reek of the water in the river. I mean, I was staying quite near it and I walked across the river. I went to some sort of crazy little Hispanic festival or something. And the smell of the water, especially at night, was like, you know, indescribably bad. I mean, it was yeah, this horrible combination of, of chemical smell and manure smell. And I said to the woman as I was checking out of the hotel, how do you drink this water? Like, I wouldn't touch it. She said, oh, drink the water? <laughs> Don't be silly. I mean, I didn't even want to shower in it. 
So it's, I, I totally get what you're dealing with there. It's terrifying. You know, the, uh, in a state like this that is so dominated by industrial agriculture, our surface waters are horrible. Yeah. You look at them and they're brown. Yes. Uh, they're brown because of suspended soils as much as anything. But sure. when uh, we have a rain event, we're seeing foam, which is a biological activity mm-hmm. uh, from manure and yeah. from human waste as well as animal waste. Um, that's a horrible process, but we're reliant on taking that surface water and making it drinking water, and we can do that safely and with some aesthetics, but nonetheless, it's really expensive, and it's a risk. We're seeing the kind of uh, nitrate concentrations that lead us to the conclusion that safely treating it and economically treating it is uh, increasingly becoming a situation that we're risking not being able to do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. It certainly sounds like it to me. Um, let's let's talk for a second about that point, non-point source argument, because a lot of these agricultural entities um, are using that, you know, well, we're not a, non, we're not a point source um, in order to shift their responsibility for pollution uh, off of their shoulders and onto just, I don't know, who's the citizens? I mean, like, I don't know how they get away with that, but uh, how does that point non-source argument or non-point source argument work for them? Yeah, basically what the argument uh, from industrial ag is that it's a farm runoff uh, that, mm-hmm. that contributes along with sewage treatment plants and your yard and my yard and uh, regular soil activities to the pollutant levels we have in our rivers. Well, we have chosen a path here that goes directly to point source uh, polluters. That is, remember, underneath our farmland is a plumbing system, and the plumbing system is a series of pipes, and that pipe is a point. There's uh, an exemption under the Clean Water Act that talks about agricultural stormwater discharge being exempt from regulation. Well, uh, our argument is um, that this isn't agricultural stormwater discharge when it comes out of a pipe. It's groundwater, and right. it is clearly a point source. None of our regulators have required permits at either the state level or the federal level for those kind of point source uh, polluters into the water this, waters of the state, but no other business in this state, if you have a, a paint factory or a sewage treatment facility or a city's municipal storm sewer system that collects rainwater, you can't take a pipe discharge into the waters of the state without a permit. Uh-huh. Agriculture, however, does and will, at least in their mind, do that forever. And we've got a lot of science, including even what the Republican governor here and the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture uh, have agreed to. The Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy says that 90% of the nutrient problem is from agriculture. Mm-hmm. We regulate 10% and leave 90% unregulated. And why? wonder why it gets worse and worse mm-hmm. for that very reason. Yeah. Uh, we're not coming to grips with the fundamental problem, and that's agricultural accountability for environmental degradation in the state. And that speaks to the political um, clout, I guess, that these agricultural entities have in terms of... Absolutely. If you watched any of the presidential selection process here, one (laughs) of the outcomes that was a little surprising to some is that one of the candidates uh, didn't kiss the ring of corporate ag and the renewable fuel standard in the use of ethanol uh, as a major subsidy um, to prop it up in our economy. 
Um, yeah, Industrial Ag and the Iowa Farm Bureau in particular are extraordinarily important forces in our legislature and our governor's mansion. No matter which party we're talking about, um, they are extraordinary forces, the single most important and, and effective forces in our political process. And certainly the presidential selection process shows that one way or another. But the reality is this. We only have 90 or so thousand farms and farmers left in this state, uh, in a state of 3 million folks. The demographic is changing, uh-huh. um, and the tolerance for pushing that cost of production and that health risk uh, to consumers generally in the state now is being recalibrated. I'm confident that if we're not successful in our lawsuit, uh, there'll be a substantial political pushback eventually that'll have us um, doing environmental protection in a way it should be without regard to what the consequences are on industrial agriculture. Oh, how interesting. I, well, I can't wait to see that play out. Um, I have one more question, then we're going to go to break for a second, um, and then we'll be right back. But uh, I noticed, speaking of your governor, that uh, Governor Branstad had proposed a sales tax to deal with the water quality problems. And and I guess my question was, is like, talk about throwing us, not even a question, but, but talk about throwing a sop to the ag community. Is like a sales tax. Why should everyone else have have to pay for this, you know, for the agricultural pollution, which you can evidently back up with science. Um, did you want to comment on that? On that particular proposal, you know, I'd be proposal? happy to. It's uh, we, we we think the same way. Uh, fundamental in our view to getting our hands around this problem is having the polluters pay, um, having uh, monitoring and measuring and public data out there to make sure that there's compliance with permitting requirement and having accountability. Yeah. The accountability should go to the producers. Uh, sales tax um, will fall heavily on my consumers, the sure. people who I sell water to. Agricultural sales tax exemptions are uh, way too uh, thick in this state. Much of the ag community is exempt from any sales tax. Um, and so it really is a situation where um, the governor is suggesting that uh, our consumers can pay again by right. subsidizing corporate ag, and even worse, and drink foul enough, water. <laughs> the, there's a there's a competition with public schools for that sales tax money, uh, who need that for their own infrastructure. So it's a pretty cynical ploy, in our view, to uh, again keep the burden on our. Uh, customers without recognizing the real problem, and that's that the polluters need to pay to clean up just as uh, Pickett U.S. Steel or Con Ed or anybody sure. who discharges into the air pollutants need to uh, need to be held accountable to, to clean up the pollutants. So do industrial agricultural point source polluters who discharge into the waters of the state. Absolutely. Well, stay on the line. We're going to be right back with uh, Bill Stowe, the, um, the, uh, the, the guy who's fighting the good fight for clean water in Des Moines. We'll be right back after this uh, station break and, um, and we'll learn more about what they're doing. And you're listening to a song called Better All the Time by a band named Zuli. We will be right back on What Doesn't Kill You.
The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm uh, talking today about Des Moines um, with Bill Stowe, the CEO and general manager of the Des Moines Waterworks. And while Des Moines has not occupied the same shocking place in American politi- or American media as uh, Flint has, they've been dealing with their very own problems that are perhaps not identical, but certainly of concern to more than one community around the nation. Because this problem, I am sure, which is uh, you know pollution coming from from um, upriver counties, agricultural counties, is not unique to Des Moines. So actually, uh, in speaking to that, I wanted to get sort of into sort of a more of a macro look at your problem, because surely you are not the only city that deals with this kind of problem. And do you see yourself as being sort of a spear leader or spe- what is spearhead in um, trying to uh, make agriculture be a little more accountable in terms of their pollution? No, no question about it, Katie. That um, we are somewhat unique because of the intensity of farming and the intensity of the drainage systems that we talked about before the break. But right. ultimately, whether you're in Iowa or Illinois or Indiana, Ohio, as an example, yeah. uh, in the upper portions of the Mississippi Valley, we are the uh, main contributors to the dead zone, uh, to the hypoxic area of the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so certainly the issues that we are facing here are not just issues for us um, in Des Moines, Iowa, but they're issues that really go to the heart of um, surface water pollution in this country, and particularly uh, in the Mississippi Valley, uh, the states that have really closed their eyes to their responsibility for downstream adverse environmental impacts, uh, particularly in the lower Mississippi area. It's really, you know, it just is really incredible. And just the whole, the kerfuffle over WOTUS, the waters of the United States, and how many Senate, how many members of Congress voted to, you know, get rid of that. And then that had to be vetoed by the president because it was, you know, clearly in the interests of the population, but not in the interests of their campaign contributions. (laughs) I mean, these stories are just mind blowing to me. I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier, which really um, struck me. And that was about when you talked about um, the Secretary of uh, agriculture, Tom Vilsack, who's of course former uh, former governor for Iowa, and your governor Branstad about the nutrient reduction strategy and how that that how that evolved and and the fact that it was voluntary. Let's talk a little bit about that voluntary idea. Since yeah, when has that, that, that ever is the worked? Great irony, isn't it, that oh. we would rely on a voluntary uh, system for public health protection, and that's exactly, yeah. unfortunately, what happens in Iowa. The nutrient reduction strategy in Iowa and in all of the Mississippi uh, states, the uh, Mississippi watershed states, uh, were triggered because of the concern about hypoxia. And so the U.S. EPA now about 15 years ago asked the states to come up with individual strategies for how they would deal to deal with their contribution to uh, pollution, nutrient pollution in particular, into the Mississippi River. Well, our state 
under the leadership of Republican Governor Branstad and the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship and our main regulators, that is the uh, Iowa Department of Natural Resources and Iowa State University, a land-grant school here right. with huge uh, industrial agricultural ties through a, a long process announced about three years ago what they termed the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy, which really has some great science to it, and the science basically comes down to this, whether it's um, nitrogen, which we are talking about today as in our nitrate uh, pollution problem, or it's phosphorus, mm -hmm. uh, which is another uh, nutrient that really is responsible uh, traveling with the soils for things like algal blooms, like we saw in Lake Erie, right. uh, that that triggered loss of uh, drinking water for the city of Toledo. Uh, agriculture is 90% of that problem. And then the other 10% are point source polluters that are regulated, like we talked about before. Sure. Sewage treatment plants, municipal storm sewer systems, factories that discharge their effluent into the waters of the United States. They're heavily regulated. The 90% isn't. Um, and the the conscious outcome of the science was that Iowa should continue to uh, toe the line on a voluntary uh, <laughs> environmental protection program, a series of conservation practices that farmers can use voluntarily to reduce nutrient pollution. Obviously, that's a ridiculous premise that we sure. can protect public health and the environment through a voluntary process. I don't voluntarily have a catalytic converter on my vehicle. Um, <laughs> we have a national policy to protect That's the right. air of this country by compelling me appropriately to have that. Yeah. I doubt that I would volunteer to do that, but yet we seem to believe that farmers will volunteer to use less nutrients to have a better crop rotation or whatever conservation practices uh, to ensure uh, the health and public safety for those of us downstream. Well, that's not working. In the three years since this nutrient reduction strategy has been released, we've seen our highest levels of nitrogen mm -hmm. on both rivers at the same time. Uh, last year, we ran our denitrification process half the time, 177 days to be precise. Wow. Um, and it's, it's just not working. We've had more beach closures, more impaired waterways, and had to denitrify more in 19 or 2015 than we have ever before. So the system isn't working. It's broken. It's risking a horrible economic outcome as well as a, a very risky public health uh, consequence on us. But yet uh, the political winds still seem to believe that uh, – Agriculture should be heavily subsidized and uh, not held accountable for its pollution. And meanwhile, these guys are making a lot of money. Am I am I right? I mean, oh, they get... the agri agriculture in this state is huge business. Yeah. Uh, most of farming is done by renters, uh, right. not by tenant farms. This isn't, you know, Norman Rockwell or Grant Wood. Right. Uh, this is a big business in this state where, again, we only have 90,000 farmers. They're multi-million dollar operations, and we're raising uh, feed uh, for animals and feed for ethanol. Right. Not the kind of crops that you would see in California, as an example, or Oregon, uh, that go or Florida, that go directly to consumers. We're kind of a 
uh, either producing ethanol or producing pork to send the Chinese middle class uh, while we continue to degrade our environment in the process of uh, making those things happen. Well, this is one of my like pet peeves is like the selling off of agricultural assets to foreign companies. But that's another that's another topic for another day. <laughs> but that's something no, no that I think that is incredibly scary. Hugely, and there's no romantic yeoman yeah. farmer out there. Again, no. there's some great CSA people and organic farmers and small scale, but uh, the water quality in the state is driven by uh, mega corporations and mega industrial ag, which are can you name uh, far, some of those far away from small farmers? Who are who are some of these big players? Are we talking like Cargill? Are we talking um, well, Smithfield? Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, they each have some place in. Um, the chain, if you will, of activities involved with agriculture, DuPont, Dow, mm-hmm. Monsanto, Cargill, right. Syngenta, um, those are all going to be huge players um, in the entire chain of providing chemicals and raising animals and yeah. sending genetics, plant genetics, uh, back into industrial ag. The industrial ag producers themselves are often, you know, large corporations. Yeah. Uh, Coke Industries, obviously, a major supplier for a number of industrial ag mm-hmm. uh, in For the ethanol. So these, are, yeah. these are large, multi-billion dollar, uh, hugely influential political players. Oof. So um, since we only have about 10 minutes left, I want to um, hear, like, what are the solutions? What do you hope will happen with the lawsuit? What uh, what measures are these uh, districts going to have to take? And, and, you know, how are you going to, how will the state find the money to actually do the monitoring um, and, you know, the and just kind of generally enforcing these reg- new, hopefully new regulations as a result of your lawsuit? Well, ultimately, and you hit on it, our objective is to clean up the waters of Iowa through regulation of the point source polluters, just as uh, if you have a factory or a sewage treatment plant or a municipal storm sewer system, you have to have a permit. We would want permits issued for the drainage districts, and there are about 3,000 in Iowa, so not a small task, but nonetheless still a manageable task. Mm -hmm. Um, And we think that, again, the producers should be held accountable. There are a number of checkoff resources that are out there um, in the commodities world. That is, every bushel of grain and every bushel of uh, corn, soybeans, every head of cattle, every uh, head of hogs that's mm-hmm. produced, there's an opportunity for revenue on the producers that can certainly fund um, the inspection process and the compliance process, just as it does in air quality for uh, all the permitting that's necessary to make sure that dischargers pollutant of polluters uh, into the airs of the state of the United States are regulated. So that same kind of model certainly um, is transferable, we think, into the uh, world of uh, protecting the surface waters of the state. Ultimately, what we're trying to do uh, through that also is internalize the cost of production. Uh, we believe that the costs are understated now when sure. the pollution costs or the pollution remediation costs are being pushed. Uh, to our consumers, the, the producers should have to pay for it. Um, there's certainly technologies out there now, Katie, and those technologies will only improve that will provide the ability to provide real-time data. Uh, we're very concerned today, and you and I have focused a lot on nitrogen, but in a state, again, that has 
21 million hogs and 3 million people, yeah. we know that there are a lot of antibiotics, as an example, oh, uh, coming into our watershed sure. uh, through livestock operation. And as the science gets better, there are going to be better regulation, better need to protect public health through different forms of regulation and different permit requirements. And, you know, our model certainly will be that the producers are going to be responsible um, for not only compliance, um, but for the process of regulating and inspecting to be able to protect against those future public health risks that are real. A lot of attention in the last few months on Flint, uh, which was a great example of how uh, we often take our water systems uh, for granted and how a political process can force decisions to be made that are ridiculously dangerous. In that situation, as I understand in talking with uh, folks in our business, the initial decision to change from Lake Huron to Flint River uh, was a $5 million savings. Now you're looking at billions of dollars in remediation costs. Yeah. That doesn't even mention the public health risk to children, obviously, that has already been unfortunately uh, very uh, much realized in the public health consequences for them. So water systems, like so many infrastructure issues that you and I face as American citizens, um, is an issue that we have a tendency to ignore until failure. Uh, We're not going to let this nitrate situation get any worse without stepping forward and challenging in the the legal uh, front through litigation and ultimately, if we need to, on the political side also, um, that there are incredible consequences from continuing industrial agriculture without holding accountable the producers for the adverse impacts downstream. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I were living in the state of Louisiana, for example, or anywhere on the Gulf of Mexico, I'd be suing those. <laughs> I'd be suing your drainage districts, too. You know there's what I no, mean? You know, like, there's no question. I mean, it's I all lived, the way down I the I lived in New Orleans for a number of years, Katie. There's a huge uh, impact from what happens thousands of miles upstream yeah. from the Gulf by agricultural activities here. Iowa, Illinois, Indiana are huge contributors to killing uh, the Gulf and the Gulf Coast. Uh, we need to take responsibilities. We're uh, going to do everything we can from a local level to begin to make producers pay for the consequences of their downstream. But I'm confident there are other people at a macro level, as you talked about earlier, that will have a real interest in um, doing everything they can to better protect the environment. Uh, climate change will be a huge, have a huge impact, obviously, sure. on a number of things that will happen. Uh, we need to be more responsible um, and have less of a view that, well, uh, if it doesn't affect me, I don't need to be concerned about it. That's why we have regulation. That's why we have national values uh, around protecting the environment and protecting public health. Mm-hmm. We need to get back on point and and making sure that there is appropriate regulation and appropriate compliance uh, and not follow this path of every regulation is bad and we can somehow deregulate it and uh, tear down a national apparatus for environmental protection and end up with a safe outcome. Right. the poor will always pay disproportionately oh, yeah. uh, from that source of direction. Absolutely. Well, I mean, on that note, let's talk for a second about those caucuses, because it was famously Ted Cruz, I'll go ahead and say that name, um, <laughs> who did not uh, kiss the ring of Big Ag in Iowa, who did not encourage or at least somehow, you know, did not make it known that he supports the ethanol mandate. But I mean, in terms of overall, um, you know, sort of an overall sense of the of the presidential campaign, do you get a 
sense that even on the Democratic side that there's any great attention being paid to um, these infrastructural issues that uh, cities like Des Moines face in terms of, you know, just being able to manage their water pollution problems, uh, that there is the political will to, um, you know, to push back against all of these lobbies that are lobbying the local legislatures to pass, uh, give a free pass to polluters. Um, you know, how do you see that playing out in national politics? Do you think that that's going to be taken up to any great degree um, should on either side of the political aisle? Well, in Iowa, we've become accustomed at the state level, at least, to recognizing that environmental issues are never talked about by our state elective leadership, whether it's at the gubernatorial level mm-hmm. uh, or at the legislative level. So we've kind of fallen into the trap that um, not hearing environmental issues talked about is the norm. Then the presidential selection process puts us into the uh, limelight for every four years. Um, while neither party, in my view, talked much about environmental issues, certainly the Democrats have talked about infrastructure issues and the need for rebuilding America's infrastructure and the job creation and economic impact that comes out of that. But realistically, both could do better. Very pleased that um, uh, our governor stepped out against Ted Cruz on the ethanol mandate issue and really made it almost a loyalty oath for Iowans to not support Ted Cruz because of his uh, failure to support renewable fuels. Uh, And, of course, uh, Ted Cruz won here. That is certainly questionable for a number of uh, (laughs) angles, in my view, otherwise. But it certainly, I think, did something to challenge the notion that ethanol and big egg uh, is uh, this kingmaker in the state has been for uh, decades and will continue to be. But neither party, in my view, have talked specifically about environmental issues as I would want them to. But realistically, we're not going to wait for the political process as a number of local communities, whether it's Toledo or Charleston or Flint or wherever it may be, or L.A., that have local water problems. Uh, We're going to be dealing with this locally, and local issues often provide a more satisfactory response uh, to challenges. And unfortunately, I think that's the route that we're going to need to take here just to come up with a um, solution that is respectful of our customers and also respectful of meaningful environmental protection. Sure. But there is a federal system out there. Water does. Uh, the Mississippi River Valley goes across a lot of state lines. The idea that um, uh, there should be no federal process there, or the EPA should be dismantled, or the waters of the U.S. rule needs to be rolled back is ridiculous. Somebody doesn't understand the basics of how water flows and the consequences. Uh, We're all downstream from something. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I'd love to ask you more questions, so clearly I'll just have to invite you back. Um, When is, when you're in the process of of doing, um, what did you call it, a disclosure or, I know there's a real word for discovery, yes. Um, When do you expect your trial to actually happen? Uh, to complicate it a little bit, we actually have two trials, uh, okay. <laughs> one of them in front of a federal judge, another in front of a state judge or uh-huh. a state Supreme Court, actually, Fascinating. on some issues. But the basic timeline is August of this year will be in front of a federal judge, uh, right. absent something unforeseen. So in about eight months, seven months, um, we'll be in front of a federal judge arguing our clean water uh, claims, our permitting claims. Yeah. We have some state law damage issues that will probably be heard by our state Supreme Court before that. In my view, no matter which side wins in these, there'll be an appeal process that can go on for a long time. In fact, 
the Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and the governor's office have been very clear that they're going to appeal if we win in any way, shape, or form. So enjoy no a long ride, an no. expensive ride, is kind of the message that we've heard from uh, industrial ag. Sure, um, and they've we'll, got the we'll big pockets. Well, good for you. I mean, I I will gladly continue to uh, talk and write and otherwise publicize the cause because I do think you're a bellwether for many, many, many states that are involved in uh, a lot of agriculture. And what you're doing there is really a boon to citizens across the United States because, you know, anywhere you are, like you said, you're downriver from something. So I thank you so much. I wish you the best of luck with this. And um, let's Katie, stay in touch. It's always a pleasure to be on the Heritage Radio Network. Well, Please, thank you. Uh, uh, call back and we'll do it again. I'd yeah, love to have a chance to talk. I'd love it. I'd love it, especially listen. as the campaign unrolls. Let's talk later this summer. We'll do that. All right. Thanks a lot, Bill. I really appreciate your time today. Take care. Good You're luck. And thanks to my uh, my sponsor today. And um, that was the uh, International Culinary Center. Much obliged. And of course, thanks as always to my wonderful engineer, Jack Inslee. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Everybody.